Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. So, um, I was thinking yesterday, as I, as I was on my deck suntanning, Nah, not quite, right? But it was, wasn't it gorgeous? I actually, I went out and I was on my tractor yesterday. Some of you know that my tractor is my happy place. And, and um, I got a little Kubota and I go out there and I play around. I was pushing snow and moving snow. And, and I went out at 1 and I came back in at 10 last night. Serious, without a word of a lie. I... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was pushing that snow. I, the skating rink is bigger than it was before, and it was gorgeous. I had my heavy coat on and, and um, my toque and mitts, and, and then I had my coat undone, and then I had my coat pretty much off, and I had my mitts off for half the time. It was, like, it was just gorgeous. There was no wind. It was beautiful. And I was just thinking to myself, like, what an amazing country we live in, you know? 39 below, three above, whatever. It's, it's, it's all good when it's heading this direction, right? You know, not so much the other. Anyways, um, yeah, yeah, that was my day yesterday. I hope you had as happy a day as I did, puttering around. We're in our last week of our 2020 vision series where we're hoping to see God more clearly as we look at some of the most foundational, most um, fundamental attributes or aspects of God. And it's our hope that as we find these foundational aspects and see them anew or reminded of them, see them more clearly, that it will impact how we live, that it won't be just knowledge, that it won't be just things that we file away, but that it will be actually things that we stand on and that we use to launch off into the rest of our lives, that our faith and our confidence would grow in God as we discover these things about him. Um, that we wouldn't be overwhelmed by the circumstances of our lives and our day-to-day and have that then crowd in and, and influence our picture of God, but rather than that our picture of God would influence our circumstances, that we would view them in light of who He is and who we have in Him as we live our lives with Him and for Him. And so it's our hope then that beyond that, that we would also grow in our testimony then for God, that as we do participate alongside Him, as we stand on that foundation, and as we act accordingly, that then our testimony would grow, that the people around us would look at us, and as they see us processing life as we know it, the events of our lives, that they would be struck by something different, and that we would in that then have an opportunity to not just demonstrate, but also speak to them about who Christ is and what He has done for us. To that end then, We started off week one talking about God's goodness, the fact that God is good, and that everything that comes from Him then is good, that when He does it, it is good, and so that then we know that we're confident that we can trust Him explicitly because He is good. In His goodness, we can trust Him with our lives, with ourselves. 
Second week, we looked at God's promises. And we were reminded there that they are sure. God's promises are sure. And that as such, then we should make an effort to get to know those promises and then engage with God in them. Last week, we looked at God's ability, which is to say that nothing then is beyond God's capacity. And that we need to make sure that we don't forfeit this opportunity to see his power and strength in our lives by having a faith that's too small, by not growing our faith, not learning about God, not focusing on him so that our faith can grow. And that we, can't, we don't want to limit our ability to see God's work in our lives, his power in our lives, by having a heart that is wandering away from him. So we want to make sure that we're bringing our heart back in line with him all the time, that we don't deviate and detour away from him. This morning, we're going to look at God's sovereignty. And then we're going to look at three ways that we can respond to his sovereignty. So one more time, just before we get into it, would you bow your heads with me and pray? Father, again this morning, we thank you that we can come to you. Thank you by your spirit that you are here. And we pray, God, now that again that you would work, that you would take our hearts and our minds, that you would open them up to yourself this morning, that by your spirit that you would help us to lean into you today. And so, God, as we consider this area of your sovereignty, would you help us to understand that more? What's more beyond that, would you help us then to respond to you well in that so that we again might derive and enjoy the benefits that come from you and that relationship with you. For we ask all of this now in your son's name and for his sake. Amen. All right. So God's sovereignty. As we begin this morning, we need to establish what is it that we're talking about when we refer to God's sovereignty or when we say that God is sovereign. That's the question. What does that mean exactly? And I would answer that in simplest terms, it means that God is supreme. It comes down to the fact that he is the one true God and that there is no other. That he is the almighty God. And that, that is demonstrated to us both in terms of the fact that he is, he is the ultimate in authority and in power. It means that he is the king of kings. He is king over everything. Everything is within his dominion and he presides over it all. What's more, we know that everything is from him and through him and for him, which we find in Romans 11 verse 36. And I don't think I included in your notes this morning, but I should have. We also understand God is sovereign to mean that there, is, there has been none before him, nor will there be any after him. That he is the first and the last. In other words, this morning, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we are talking about the fact that God is God. Now, don't take my word for it. Scripture speaks to this as well. And again, we're going to look at some scripture this morning. This isn't exhaustive. There's much more beyond this. But if you would, turn with me and follow along with me. First, we'll go to First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. There it says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. 
Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Isaiah 46, verse 10 carries on. I make known the end from the beginning, God says, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Psalm 33, verse 11 says, By the, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Here we find and understand that this is from time beginning to time end. Not just at this point in time, but God has been supreme from the beginning and to the end. He will be to the end. His plans, his purposes are going to carry through all generations. Those previous, ours now, those still to come. What's more than Proverbs 19, verse 21, Solomon gets in on the act. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Which is to say that you and I think that we have ideas and thoughts and plans, but God himself exercises his sovereignty over us as well. And that our plans will be submitted to his plans. If he has different plans, he's going to carry those out in us. So his sovereignty extends to us as individuals, to you and I, each as an individual. But what's more, Psalm 22 verse 28 says this, For dominion belongs to the Lord, he rules over the nations. So it's not just in terms of individuals, but it's in terms of nations as well. God exercises his sovereignty as, over us as individuals, but over us as nations. Oh that he would come now and exercise his sovereignty in such a way in Canada that we would return to him. Even as we talk about these things that we're discussing this morning earlier, I pray that it might be God's plan that he would pour out his spirit on our country one more time and that we would return to him as his people. But nevertheless... Whether that is the case or not, we know that his plan is being carried out in us as a country even today. We can be confident in that. Daniel 2 verses 20 to 22 say this, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the, to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. It is also my prayer that we will come to understand and believe with God that God is the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. As he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 15b. Oh, that we would know God as King of kings and Lord of lords, and that we would stand on that day by day as his people, knowing his supremacy, being confident that he is carrying out his plan, and participating alongside him as such. Carrying on this morning, I want to take a look quickly at God's sovereignty in action. 
or in other words, his providence. God exercises his sovereignty in many, many ways. But for the sake of this morning, we're going to look at just a few of them on account of time. And this morning, as we come to these, we've looked at some of these aspects before as we looked at God's ability. But note with me this morning, I, I want to make, a, make a, a distinction here this morning. That as we look at his ability, as we, as we see him exercise his sovereignty, this morning note that it is always with a purpose. That he doesn't just have the power, that he's not just messing around in things for kicks and giggles, but that he is exercising his sovereignty in these different areas to accomplish his plan and his will. So note the distinction. First of all, we see that God exercises his sovereignty over nature. He controls it for his purposes. Joshua 10 verse 11 says, As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah. Now, picture with me. This is the story of, I believe it's the Amorite kings that have come up against Israel. I think there's five Amorite kings and if I'm remembering this correctly, what they've done is they've seen Israel and their powers growing, and so they decide they're going to attack some of the, the uh, um, allies of Israel. And so Israel responds to these kings who are seeking to try and take them out. And God says to Joshua, you go. I'll deliver them into your hand. And so this is the story. So as they fled, the Israelites arrived. And they've marched and, and they arrive and, and all of a sudden there's pandemonium and stuff. It's a great story. You've got to go and read it. Go and read it for yourselves. You'll, it'll do way more justice than I can. So as they arrive though, the, they start to flee. The enemies start to flee. And as they're fleeing then, the Lord uh, hurled large hailstones down on them. And, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. And so we see God intervening in this circumstance to accomplish his plan, to preserve his people, to raise them up, and to deliver them into the land that he had promised them. What's more, as you, as you go further in that chapter, we also see that God intervenes with the sun, and he holds back the sun. Joshua makes the request, and God holds back the sun so that the light can be preserved, so that the Israelites can succeed and be completely victorious in this battle. On from there. And again, not limited to, but a couple more examples. In 1 Kings chapters 17 and 18, as part of the account of Elijah, we see God withholding rain for years in order to establish who he is, to make himself known. Moreover, he sends fire from heaven in demonstrating his ability, his, his, his capacity and the fact that he is the one true God rather than the prophets of Baal who are trying to establish Baal as a God. And our Lord demonstrates in no wimpy way that he exists, that he is the one true God. Again, I would encourage you, go and read it. Exodus chapter 7 to 11 give us the account of the plague as God uses the plagues 
in order to accomplish the purpose of his people's release, the children of Israel's release from captivity in Egypt. So we see God exercising his sovereignty over nature. We also see him exercising his sovereignty over man himself. Numbers 23 gives us the account of Balak who tried to hire Balaam to curse Israel, to curse the Israelites. He goes, he tries to hire him. Balaam wants to participate. He was, he's looking for a payday. But God intervenes in Balaam's life so that he can't curse the Israelites and in fact can only bless them. It's kind of humorous reading the story, watching God intervene as Balaam's trying to come up with the cash, but he can't, can't get, can't get it done. God intervenes specifically in his life. We also see it again in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 30, where God intervenes in the life of Sion, the king of Heshbon. And the point there was that as the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, and as they were moving through the territories in the wilderness, they came to this kingdom of Heshbon, and, and Sion won't let them go through his territory. He's going to make them go around. And so they were an evil people, we're told, and God sees fit to harden his heart such that they would be delivered then into the hands of the Israelites, what would happen later. In Exodus, back to Exodus 7, verses 1 to 5, the story of the plagues, the story of God's releasing of his people from captivity, we see him harden Pharaoh's heart for his purpose. It says there, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites." And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. God again exercises his sovereignty over you and I, over kings, over anyone he sees and wishes to accomplish something in his plan. He is sovereign over you and I as well. What's more? God exercises his sovereignty over his control of Satan as he controls Satan for his purposes. Satan doesn't have carte blanche. He is not out from underneath the authority of God today. We need to know that. Job chapter 1 verses 8 to 12 tell us this. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Satan's been running to and fro. He comes before God. And God says to him, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well, then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. God says, okay, you take a crack at him. 
You can have this much leash. You can affect what he has, but don't touch him. And then through the rest of the book of Job, we see that play out as that expands. And God accomplishes his plan through Job. Lastly, this morning, we see God exercise his sovereignty in judgment. As king, as king of kings and lord of lords, we know that he is supreme because he is going to exercise judgment over everything, over everyone. Romans 14 verses 10 to 12 say this, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Paul writing to the Romans here. Paul says, hey, you guys be careful as you're running around judging one another. And here's why. Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. God exercises his sovereignty in that all of creation will one day give an account to him. You and I will give an account of ourselves to God. And at that point when we walk in, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that God is God. There will be no doubt about his sovereignty. And we will have to give an account of ourselves before him. Our God is sovereign. He is supreme. There is no other. We need to stand on that today. But what does that mean? How do we respond to a sovereign God? How do we respond to God supreme? Well, this morning I would suggest three things. First of all, I would suggest that we submit to Him. You know, I wanted to say that our best response would be that if you can't beat them, join them. It seems kind of evident, doesn't it? That if we can't beat them, it would be wise to join them. But as I thought about that honestly, it seemed just too flippant. Because as I look at my life, I recognize how I so often do not want to submit to God. I recognize that over and over in so many different ways, I exert my own independence, even in the face of the facts, that He's supreme, that I can't beat Him at His game, that I can't even pretend to be master of my own destiny because He rules over me as well. Even in the face of that, I thumb my nose at God and say, I don't care. I'm going to do it my way. This morning, church family, if you haven't come to that point yet, can I urge you? Reconsider. Reconsider your approach to our sovereign God. So oftentimes we doubt Him and His goodness to us. We want to just... Exert our own pride and independence. But be reminded today that he's not doing this as some megalomaniac. He's not doing this because he's on some power trip. 
He's doing it for our goodness because that's just the way he rolls. And in light of that, that we can trust him. If we knew for sure, and we can, that God is good and that he's always working in our best interests and that it is in our best interest then to work with him, would we mean not fools to do it? Not to do it. Come to God today. Recognize the pride in our lives. And put it aside and come to Him. Romans 10 verses 9 to 13 say this, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on His name today. Submit to a sovereign God who has nothing but your best interests at heart. For those of us that have made that decision then, secondly, I would say this morning, let's respond to God by resting in His sovereignty. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6b. In that verse, as Paul addresses the Philippians, he says that he prays for them with joy, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in them will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If Paul were here today, he would say the same to you, that he would pray for you with joy, knowing, being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Ralph Martin, in his commentary on Philippians, said this, The thought here stresses not only the sovereign initiative of God in salvation, but also the sovereign faithfulness of God in Christ. We can be sure of God's sovereignty and His faithfulness because He has given us the gift of His Son, that He has spared no expense in providing for our salvation in sending Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died in our place to pay the penalty of our sin so that we can see him rise from the dead, being victorious over death and sin, place our faith in him and be restored to relationship with God today. We can rest in God's sovereignty as he plays out this plan for us, as we see it demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ. We can rest and be assured in God now, not just in the future, but now as demonstrated through his faithfulness in Christ. Through the gift of Christ, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves us. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is with us. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is now working in us by His Spirit to change us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That there is no hopeless causes in Christ, no matter what we've done today, 
no matter how lost a cause we might be. We're not a lost cause with God. And we can rest in that. We can know it. He's, he loves us. He's with us. He's working in us today. Lastly, we can respond to a sovereign God by putting our hope in Him. Revelation 2, 21, verses 1 to 7 say this. John writing, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious, which is to say those who have victory in Christ, who have placed their faith in Christ, not of our own merits, not because of anything that we have done, but those who have come to faith in Christ, those who have victory in Him, will inherit all of this, God says, and I will be their God and they will be my children. Now there is something to hope for. In the face of the things that we have to go through in our lives, the junk that we encounter, the stuff that we will have to navigate, the trials, the tribulations, the pain, the suffering, the sorrow, God tells us that our lives are but a vapor. And what's more, that we can rest in Him, we can hope in Him knowing that He is going to bring about the fulfillment of the redemption that He has started in you and I and in creation as well. No matter the challenges we face, this is our hope. This is what we have to look forward to. No death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. What a hope we have in a sovereign God. This morning, church family, as we finish up this series, as we go into the rest of this year, as we begin a new decade, as we go into the rest of our lives, stand on these things. Our God is sovereign. He is supreme. His ability is sufficient. His promises are sure. And He is good. And that changes everything. Let's pray. 